All right, good morning, gang. This morning we're going to be in First Chronicles, uh, chapter twenty-four is where we'll start. And a couple announcements while you're turning there. This Saturday, October thirty-first, from three to nine is our harvest party. Join us for that. Bring kids, bring cakes, bring candy, all those things that we need for that. And then, uh, if you want to help out that night, there's a sign-up sheet out there right now, and that way we we can put you someplace. Whether that's watching an inflatable out there for an hour or two or whatever you feel like doing, or some inside stuff too. Um, might be a little chilly, but that's okay. Um, you can work on the inside stuff if you'd rather not be freezing cold or whatever. Kitchen stuff, soups, a lot of stuff going on that night. So um, that's this Saturday. Uh, we won't be having prayer this Sunday night uh, like we normally do on the first uh, Sunday of the month. We're going to have it on Monday night before the election. It'll be focused around the election and focused about our country and our leaders and so on. So if you want to join us for that, That'll be at 7 p.m., um, not this, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, November 2nd. Um, so those are the two main announcements for this morning. we got a lot of chapters to cover. They'll go quick. We're going to get all the way to, I think, 28 today. Um, um, I, I was really ambitious for second or first service. I thought we'd do all the finish up Chronicles, but that's, that's just not going to happen. Um, oh, actually, we finished up in 27, didn't we? So we'll go... 24 through 27 today. First two chapters, though, they're names, a lot of names. And so, again, we've gone over what these uh, roles and responsibilities are of these people listed. Uh, and so um, that's really the thrust. Who they were is important, maybe in your own personal study time, to cross-reference to places where they're mentioned in the Bible. Um, and, and so you understand, oh, that guy, that guy's a gatekeeper. Oh, yeah. And that's fine. But for you guys, I'm not going to read through all the names. That's something you can do on your own. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you for letting us crack open your word this morning um, to share this time together, studying. You know, we know we're called to this. It's, a, it's an act of worship to sit at your feet, to sing songs, to pray, um, to fellowship together. It's all Acts 2.42. We want to keep doing that, just like the book of Acts. And uh, so we thank you for this time this Sunday. We pray for Wednesday also, and we pray for uh, the harvest party, and we lift up Monday night uh, prayer to you next Monday. Um, and We pray just be very much a part of all of it. As JC prayed, your presence is so beautiful to us and so needed. Um, and to sit in your presence is just, uh, well, it's healing by itself. Uh, if nothing else happens, we're in your presence. It's beautiful. And so we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The division of the priests in chapter 24 we have had the division of the, the tribe of Levi, okay? And we've gone over that. The tribe, that's one-twelfth of the nation of Israel and what they would do. Within that tribe of Levi is the family of Aaron. And Aaron is the Levitical, they're the priesthood, basically, and that's what they would do. Now, since David is moving from a tent or a tabernacle uh, to, a, to a, a temple, a permanent building uh, with other buildings, as we'll see this morning, um, there's, it's, you know, it's far, it's a complex more than it is just one temple. There's a lot of things going on here. There's going to need to be a lot more staff, a lot more people that come alongside and are helping and do these things. And so he's going to divide up this tribe of Aaron as the priesthood. So the priesthood's doing this, but the whole tribe of Levi is involved as well in all the things that are necessary. Okay. Um, and that's just good insight, good wisdom from a man who's been around. David is at the end of his life, and it seems as, as men and women, as we get older, 
we get a little more even, or, or at least we, we should be anyway, it seems. More, we're even-tempered. Um, things don't move us like they used to when we were younger. People giving us a funny look doesn't break our hearts anymore. We're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to be liked by a lot of, you know, you just kind of let things go. Or either way, we're just, the life gets a little more even. And I think that's wisdom. It just comes with experience. Um, it comes with uh, knowing that it, it, this will work out and, and there's a way around that. And it's not a catastrophe. It feels like it, but I've been through this before. And that helps the younger guys say, okay, well, if you're not worried. And so that's what David's trying to do. He has a young and inexperienced son, Solomon, who's going to have to build this temple. And David's like, I'm going to set this up because I have wisdom. I'm going to get the materials sourced. I'm going to get the architecture, the blueprints done. Um, God's given them to him, and I'm going to get all the materials for you. And now I'm also, and that's what these chapters are about, I'm going to staff it. I'm going to get it all ready for you. God, when he moved the nation of Israel into the land of Israel, um, he told them, I'm going to give you a little bit each year so that you can occupy it. You can hold the ground. I don't want to give you too much because it'll be overwhelming to you. So I'm going to year by year give you more and more conquered ground. And that was wisdom on God's part. David's doing the same thing. As we move from a, a tent, basically, to a permanent, well, complex, there's going to be a lot more things that need to be done. But I don't want that to be a concern because many hands make the work light. And so he begins to divide this up. The first division in this verse 1, are the divisions of the sons of Aaron, the priests, um, and he describes all those guys, and really, this is how fast we're going to go. Verse 19, now, uh, this was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord, according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. You've got 24 groups of these guys that are going to toggle or, or, or rotate in and out of their responsibilities. So nobody gets too fatigued, nobody gets too tired, because nobody wants that. He's going to do the same for the musicians. He's going to do the same for the gatekeepers or the guards. He's going to do the same thing for the soldiers. And there's wisdom in that because you can get mentally and emotionally fatigued if you're not given a break. Soldiers that are on deployment for too long begin to care less about what they're there to do and only care about what they want to be doing someplace else. But if you know you have a rotation, if you know there's a, an end in sight, then you can do your job to the fullest knowing that the next day I'm going to be home with my family. Very important to have that. I think we make that mistake sometimes with our military. Sometimes there's a wind down of deployment and you hear rumors. I remember those rumors of, hey, I think we're going home in a couple of weeks. Sounds like they're going to do this in a couple of months. And then those, those markers pass. The time goes by and you lose such heart every time that rumor goes through and such it's just a, it's a breakdown. You know, oh, I thought I'd be home by Christmas, or I thought I'd be home by now, or I thought I'd be, and that happens too often. There needs to be decisive leadership above that can give these guys a hope and a reason for doing what they're doing, but then also to bring them back at a, in a timely manner as promised, you know, and that's just one example. David understands that. God understands that. There's got to be seasons where you can have that pressure off, and so they're doing that here, and that's what the priest. There was a schedule, and they fulfilled their service, and they went back to their own home. There were other Levites, verse 20, all the way through the end of the chapter, that were also divided up. These are the remainders. They had different jobs, different things, but everybody had a place. 
Everybody had a responsibility. Some way they fit and were able to be used in the service of God. I was thinking about listening to Robbie Zacharias, and of course we know Billy Graham and, 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 and Franklin Graham and, and all these big names, and, and they have big responsibilities, you know. I'm never going to be a Robbie Zacharias. I'm just, I'm not an apologist in that way. It's not what I'm called to do. It's not my, it's not my scope, you know. I'm not even saying I'm not an apologist. I am in, in a sense, but not on that scale, you know. There's a there's different sizes of ministries and so on. Uh, Billy Graham, I, I do the work of an evangelist, but Billy Graham's an ev- he was an evangelist, you know, and the, the scope. Um, and and so when we when we as a group in this in this little building in Maryville, Missouri, think about okay, now what's my what's my what's God's plan for me in the in the ministry, the worldwide ministry of Jesus Christ, you know, throughout the world? We each have a role, we each have a, a place and a part. I need to be grateful for that part that we have. Um, David shares his heart towards the end of one of these chapters that he's just absolutely content with what God's called him to do and not complaining about what he hasn't called him to do. I'm just going to do what I'm called to do. There's no wonderlust, you know. Oh, oh, you know, one day I'm going to do that. One day. No, it's today. And David's lived his whole life like that. Just today. What does God have? And that's enough. And uh, he'll say that. And so it may say the other Levites, but to them, getting that call, getting that placement, getting that responsibility, no matter how small or how big it was, what a, what a joy, what a blessing to just be used of God. In fact, that's stated to these guys several times. Was it not enough that you get to be ministers in God's house? Because honestly, this is only one twelfth of Israel. That's a pretty special role. You're already just a, I'm just a Levite. Well, yeah, but you're, you're, you're one you're one twelfth. That's amazing. You know, what about the rest of us slobs? You know, <laughs> you know, uh, we don't get to do anything like you guys get to do. And they never complain about it. It's good. Well, they shouldn't complain about it. Neither should we. So he, he breaks him down into the rest of their responsibilities and so on. Chapter 25, the musicians, we've already discussed them. So I won't spend a lot of time here. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service. Some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, of Haman, um, of Haman, or whatever, and of uh, Jeduthun, uh, who, sh- who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men uh, performing their service was, and he begins to go on, it ends up being 4,000, as they number all these guys, 4,000 musicians, who are prophesying with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And I'm glad that that's put in here in this place, because we get the word prophecy, and we automatically think of... You know Jeremiah or Isaiah and these 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 guys that were out there doing crazy stuff, lying on their side and you know doing wearing pots on their head and climbing through walls. Some of the stuff God had these guys do just to foretell the future. But in this instance, the word prophet means you're going to foretell the things of God, not foretell the things of God. In other words, they they would sing songs about what God had done and what He's going to do for us. Um, and in a sense, that's the foretelling, but that's not what they're doing. They're not receiving a message from God and then sharing it with the people as brand new news. They were singing of the things that everybody already knew about. They were forthtelling the things of God. When we sing songs here, actually, it's a prophetic singing, so to speak, not, not like modern-day prophetic singing, but this is, this is it. You're forthtelling what God has done, and it brings us to that place reminding us 
of the beautiful things he's done for us, the beautiful things he's doing with us, and the beautiful things he promises to do for us. And so we, we have that time. And so that's what these guys would do. That was their job. And they would rotate in and out. They would rotate in and out um, with their harps and their stringed instruments and their cymbals so that they could spend time with their families because it was a full-time job. It was a full-time ministry for them at the temple. The gatekeepers, chapter 26. Concerning the division of the gatekeepers, these were basically the security. They really were. You had really three lines of defense. You had the, the very outer uh, section of the city, probably, and they had some roles to play there. This was mainly for the temple, but they had some roles to play out there. The second ring of defense would be just outside the court of the Gentiles, where you would protect just as, just as a place of worship. You shouldn't be doing anything in here but worship, and so they would keep guys out that weren't interested um, and let people in that wanted to worship. And then there was an inner circle, the, the final ring um, of security between the court of the Gentiles and the actual place of worship for the Jews. Um, and so they would keep out the Gentiles under penalty of death if they crossed that line. Um, nobody but a Jew could come within uh, that much distance of the temple. Um, and that's how God wanted it. They had the Levites and the priests doing their thing, and then you had the Jews that could worship here, and then they had the court of the Gentiles, and they could worship there if they wanted to. And it was meant to be in that order, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so this what these guys would do, the, the gatekeepers. And they were all divided up and would rotate in to their jobs. Verse 20, of the Levites, Ahijah was over the treasury of the house of God and over the treasuries of the dedicated things. You probably don't think about all the responsibilities that would have to go on inside this complex, inside of this, this, this enormous uh, ministry that takes place to the nation of Israel. We've got some, you just need to make sure the money's there. And he probably had guys under him, you know, counting and uh, keeping track of all the golden forks and the silver bowls and all the things. And is everything uh, where it's supposed to be? Are there lamps ready? Okay, you get the, you get the picture. He was in charge of the treasuries. Hey, you know, Bob, I need, I need, I need 50 bucks. I got to replace one of the wicks or whatever. Oh, yeah, here's 50 bucks. The bookkeeper keeping track of everything, making sure stuff coming in, going out, um, that we had a good account of everything that was going on all the time, and, and so on. Uh, uh, different things they would do. You can read through this. Some of the spoils in battle, verse 27, were dedicated to the maintaining of the house of the Lord. Not everybody kept those spoils. Some of that spoil was uh, kept back for the maintaining of the house of God, and so on. So not only would the people pay a temple tax and so on, but they would also use the spoils from other uh, nations as they would conquer them and, and so on uh, to, to grab this land, this uh, Israeli land that God had given them. So that money was used for the Lord. And it happened in the 40th year. We see that at the middle of verse 31. David had been reigning for quite a while now, uh, sometimes in other places, but for the most part, 33 years in Jerusalem. He's in his 40th year of his reign, um, and that's when he sought all these all this staff begin to divide things up and get things ready. Um, he's very good at what he does. 27 is the military division. Chapter 27, the division of the military. And the children of Israel, according to their number, the heads of their father's houses, the captains of thousands and hundreds and their officers, served the king in every matter of the military divisions. These divisions came in and went out month by month throughout all the months of the year, each division having 24,000. So there's always a standing ready readiness group, a group of, that were ready to go at 24,000, but you could always call everybody else in if you needed them. You know, 
um, but only 24,000 on staff at any time or on duty at any time. Um, and he goes on to describe them throughout the rest of that until verse 16. Leaders of the tribes. Um, this is just the, the other 11 tribes. Um, we've got the Levites all kind of broken down and everything. These are the leaders of the tribes, and he names all of them as well up to verse 24. Now, chapter 27, verse 25, if you're trying to keep up, <laughs> I'm moving pretty fast. He describes some of the smaller things that these guys would do. Um, and this is, this is uh, the palace now. This is the monarchy. This is the king's stuff. Not the nation of Israel, not the tribe of Levi. This is just for the government. King's treasuries. We had a guy over that. The storehouses in the field, the cities, the villages, and fortresses. How much was there? Everybody's keeping track of this stuff. Um, just very organized, very clear. If, if David wanted to know something, someone should be able to stand there and give him a number. You know, how much do we have in that fortress? Well, let me look here. It's this much. And they would be able to give them those numbers. So everybody was in charge and, and, and keeping these things straight. It was nice. Uh, David can't know it all. And, and I believe this is all written down because Solomon is about to be handed the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, keys to his new car. And he doesn't know if he can drive or not. And David's trying to show something here by setting up this team by this group, by divisions, by saying, no, 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 it ain't me, it's us, you know? And showing Solomon that you don't have to keep track of what's going on in, in fortress number 27 over here or what happened with the, the grapes over in vineyard number 852. That's for somebody else. It's a whole different thing, Solomon, to be in this capacity as a king, to have the wisdom to trust other people to do the ministries. Very important the treasuries, the storehouses, those who did the work in the field and tilling ground, over the vineyards, and then over the fruit of the vineyards, you know? So one guy's saying, I think the grapes are growing. The other guy's telling him, yeah, they did, you know? Just very organized. Olive trees, and then how much oil? The herds, the camels, the donkeys, the flocks, over all of King David's property, making sure that everything in the king's house was straight and orderly and done right. I was looking up at our camera placements, and uh, the guys were working on it. I was going to run the cable for it. I promised I was going to run the cable for it, and I was like, I'll get to it when I get to it kind of thing. They'd been on the ground on tripods, if you didn't know, for, but we finally found a good place where they wanted them, where they thought they were going to fit well, and so they put them up on the walls. And I'm looking at that. It's just, it's, it's just perfect. And, and, and I appreciate that. I look at that, and I see the bottom of that bracket lined up perfectly with the soffit. I'm like, I like that. I took a picture of it. I liked it so much. It's on my phone. It's important to me that it's not canted. Well, it tilts and pans. It doesn't matter how it's laid. It'll, we can straighten it out with the camera. No, do it right, you know? And there it is. It's done. It's, you guys are all going to walk by now. When you, there's two cameras here. You can walk by and look at them. I just love that. I love it when things are done just like they're supposed to be done. I, I'm a chair guy, you know, and I come in and I look. I say, oh, that's too narrow. That's not, people are going to bump. They're going to, you're going to squeeze through and someone's rear end is going to hit someone's shoulder. And that's weird if you're a visitor, you know, I just think that way. So these chairs need to be, someone needs to fix it. I'm just like that. And it's neat when it all comes together and, and, and other people catch that vision, not of whatever you want to call me, don't call me names. I'm going to say excellence. You want to strive for excellence in all that you do. 
I think in ministry, I don't think you're serving the king of the universe. Let's get it right. You know, it's not good enough. Good enough for government work. You ever remember those? Well, maybe you don't know what that good enough for government work. Yeah. When it comes to the king of the universe, that's a whole different government. You know, let's, let's do it right. You know, or the best we can anyway with what we have. And David's trying to show Solomon, we've got some really good guys here. We've got some folks here that are on staff that are, well, they're thinking the same way. They love God and want to serve God as much as you do. And they're looking for opportunities to do that and to do things right to the best of their ability with excellence in all that they do. I love that. And so um, David shows them all that stuff and, and gets it all ready. Verse chapter 28. Now David assembled... At Jerusalem, this is the actual kind of the coronation. This is our uh, last chapter, I believe. Do I get 28 done? Yeah, I do. Also, next week is just 29. That'll be interesting. I don't know how that's going to work. You don't care, do you? I'm going to move on. My problem, not yours. Now, David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, um, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men, and all the men of valor. So he grabs everybody important because he's going to let them know that Solomon's going to be the new guy. He's going to be in charge now. And he wants them to all hear it from his mouth. So it's not, they didn't get a memo. They were there, you know, when it happened. And then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made provision or preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. David doesn't complain afterwards and say, but it wasn't my fault that I was a man of blood. God made me kill all the, he told me to go kill the Philistines. What was I supposed to do? And now I can't build that. He doesn't have that tone. He's letting it out. Matter of fact, I wanted to do this, but God said, no, it's for somebody else to do. You're a man of blood, had a time and a place and a purpose, and you fulfilled that role that I had for you in the ministry of conquering the ground for the nation of Israel to occupy. But the next step is a place of peace, and I want it to be done by a peaceful man because I want my house to be known as a place of peace, a place of rest. And so I'm going to use your son Solomon, which means that, peace, rest. So I'm going to use him to do it instead. And so David's letting him know, I wanted to do it, but God said I couldn't. And I want to add it carefully, but that's the, that's the implication. And it's okay. And it's okay that I didn't get to build it, you know? David doesn't complain about what he can't do. He's just excited that he was used. However, for the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among my sons, or among my, uh, among, uh, my sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. Although I couldn't do and build the house of the Lord, I'm, I'm excited about it, what I was able to do. I don't have that longing or that desire to not do what's in front of me that day or be content with what God's called me to do. I get to be king of Israel. Not bad, you know. 
And I love the way he ends it. He was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. That was when he was a little boy, watching over the sheep of his father. Now, maybe there were some characteristics of David that God saw. He's an honest kid. Um, He's a go-getter. I love the way he plays the harp out in the field, whatever it was. But maybe it was none of that. Maybe it was just God setting his love upon David. Maybe it was just, I'm pleased with that little kid. I'm going to do something with him. Maybe David had it in his heart this is it, and I'm content. The rest of my brothers are in there being chosen by a prophet, and they told me to stay out here. I'm okay with that. I, I guess is that David's contentment to be wherever God had him was what caused God to be able to use him in greater ways in his life. He was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel, least in my father's house. My father's house was the least in our tribe, and so on. You know, it's a neat thing. David was content with where he was, and we need to be that way too. I don't know, you know, being a Ravi Zacharias, he, I, I listened to his last teaching that Jenny sent me, and, and she'd listened to it, and he was talking about logging in millions of miles. He knew every plane inside and out. He could tell you which carrier had the best service and who had the worst service, who made the worst pot of tea on, on, on the plane, you know? And I'm thinking, I don't want that. I don't want to know all that. I mean, I would if God called me to do it. But you don't think about those things. All you see is Ravi Zacharias, you know? What a cool name, first of all, you know? What's up with you, Mom? Why didn't you call me Ravi or something neat, you know? Uh, there's a lot that went on there beyond the stage, beyond the lights, beyond the thousands and thousands and probably millions of people that he ministered to, for sure millions of people that he ministered to. There's a lot of other things that went on there. You know, David was content wherever God had placed him. I want to be content wherever God puts me and whatever he allows me to do. And whatever's for the next generation, praise the Lord. I mean, I, I hope we don't do everything. I mean, you know, that God has to do on this earth. I hope there's stuff left to do for my kids. Now, I'm going to do my best to make sure there isn't enough stuff for them to do when they're older in the Lord, because I'm going to work hard for the Lord. I want to serve him wholeheartedly. But I understand there's a whole other generation being raised up to to do these things, and, and that God's got stuff for them to do. And David knows that. He says in verse 5, and all, um, I think it's verse 5, yeah, verse 5, And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he's chosen my son Solomon. He chose me to be king. He chose my son Solomon to be king. Yeah, there's a lot of sons. My dad had a lot of sons. But he just found pleasure with us and decided to put us up here. To sit on the throne um, of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now, he said to me, it is your son. uh, this This is what David says. God said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son. I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. If he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. Three things there. 
I want you to seek after the Lord, seek after all of his commandments, seek to do his will in your life so that the other two things can happen, that you may possess this good land. And the second thing there is that you might leave an inheritance for your kids. See, it's one thing for me to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to have that. But I have that personal relationship for myself, but also for my kids. I want to leave a spiritual inheritance for my kids. God calls us to that. There's a 2020 is a funny year. It seems like you add systemic in front of anything and it becomes bad, right? That's systemic brown chairs I see out in this audience. It must be bad. Brown chairs are horrible. You know, just systemic. And so I saw this along with all the other things they're trying to cancel. Um, systemic generational wealth. Systemic generational wealth. You mean inheritance? You don't want us to have inheritance. You don't want us to give what we've earned and saved and not spent on ourselves to our children. Yep. And I'm amazed at how many people are on board with that. That when you die, all your stuff goes back into the pot and everybody starts at ground zero again. And that you cannot leave anything for your kids or shouldn't want to or shouldn't be able to or allowed to. Systemic generational wealth. And, and some of you may even be like, well, yeah, it does seem kind of unfair that they get that and they get this and the Rockefellers and the, and the whoever's, you know, that you, well, to be honest with you, that you're jealous of. It's greed, not on their part. It's greed on our part to want something that somebody else has earned, made, saved, not spent. Deprive themselves of things so that they did have something in the bank account afterwards. That's not their fault. And your position is not their fault either. It's a sad thing. More importantly, besides what I think about it, it's contrary to Scripture. It seems subtle. I mean, it, it doesn't seem. It is subtle. And it almost seems like, a well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. No. No, God's Word says I'm supposed to leave not only a spiritual inheritance, not only but a, a physical one too. I want to leave all three. There's three different kinds, I think, personally. I want to leave a spiritual heritage for my kids, an inheritance. I want them to grow up in a godly home. Well, you've got it easy. You grew up in a godly home. I had to work on the streets. So don't, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So don't raise your kids in a godly home. Of course you do. You teach them the word of God. You train up a child in the way that they should go. That's what we're called to do. I want to leave them a city, a county, a state, a nation, a world. I want them to inherit that after I'm gone. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I want our country to be on the right track. But besides politically or morally, I'm picking up my trash. I'm not throwing my McDonald's bags out the window, you know. There's nothing wrong with that mentality of keeping the place clean and tidy and, and, and more beautiful than we, than we found it, you know, ourselves. I like those things when I go to a campsite and I see it's kind of a disaster to pick up. And when I leave, man, it looks like better than I found it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You want to leave that to the next person. Those are things that are godly and Christian and beautiful. And also financially or resource-wise, sometimes it's land, but it has value to it. To leave my kids an inheritance, it, it, that's, that's the epitome of it's the exact opposite of selfishness. You know, I didn't spend everything I earned on myself. I saved some so that they had when I, when I was gone. I denied 
myself, all these other things so that they could have a start. What's wrong with having a start? Anybody remember starting from nothing? Was it fun? No, but it made me the man and woman I am today. Well, okay, I guess. I think you can teach your kids to be responsible, resourceful, humble people without having them to start off with a zero bank account. I don't think there's anything wrong with giving them a start and help. I think that's that's biblical. He just said that. I'm I'm leaving you an inheritance, a spiritual one. He's certainly not going to want for money. Solomon's a, a, a pretty great guy. I know he's got his problems. I know. I know. But the prayer that he has as a prince in a kingdom, I mean, you know he's grown up with literally a golden spoon in his mouth, not a silver one. But his prayer when he gets the kingdom is, God, I pray that you give me the wisdom that I need to do what I'm about to do because I feel like a child. Oh, and David, God loved that prayer and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. Beyond, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give you the wisdom that you asked for, but I'm also going to give you all the other things you didn't ask for. Now, what didn't he have? As a prince in the, in the castle here, you know, the, the house of David. So God wasn't upset with them. And, and, and so anyway, those attributes were given to him. Now, he didn't continue in them. That's his own problem. But David gave Solomon a spiritual inheritance. Whether he followed it or not is up to him. And whether they squandered it or not, that's not David's problem. Our responsibility is to give that to our kids. We're going to give them a world better than the way we left it. You know, We're going to give them a financial start. I think we should. I think it's important. What's wrong with saving You know, and passing it on? It's a beautiful thing. So we have that. And so watch that stuff as people try to get you to think this way or that. Does it line up with Scripture? Because canceling systemic generational wealth, although that sounds like a really good thing, that's right out of somebody else's handbook, and it ain't God's. It just is not God's. So as for you, my son Solomon, seek out, possess the good land, leave it as an inheritance for your children forever. That was for the leaders. Now for you, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Do it. Solomon, I want you to know the God of your father. I want you to know my God, not through me. I don't want you to have the God that I have, or, or in other words, have that relationship through me. I want you to know him personally. And then I want you to serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. That's something that is really going to be hit on next week. I was hoping to do 29, but I'm not going to be able to get to it. That loyal heart and a willing mind is really important to the Lord. And, and as someone who may be discipling somebody or bringing someone along in the Lord or teaching them in the ways of the Lord, there are ways from the pulpit or from this pedestal that um, a person can manipulate the crowd to do things they should be doing for God and so on, and that should never happen. The idea from teaching God's Word is to teach it, and what you do with it is up to you. And it needs to be left in people's hearts and in their hands to actually pick up and apply. No one's going to walk you through the process and make you do the things that God has clearly said in His Word to do. Likewise, I don't want to do that with my kids either. 
They're going to grow up in a home where Jesus is praised and where he's prayed to, where he's trusted in, where he's loved and adored and served uh, willingly and happily. But what they do with that after they leave is up to them, whether they follow in, the, in that same heritage or not. That's all David can do is tell him these things. I can only tell you to know God. I can only tell you to serve him with a loyal heart and a willful mind, but I can't make that loyal heart and willful mind. That's something you have to do. I can't make you strong. All I can tell you is to be strong. I can't make you do it. All I can tell you is do it. And, and that, those last two words, I mean, it's everything. It's what James was all about, and that's what Bible study after Bible study and, and reading God's word and quiet times are all great, but eventually you're going to run into a situation where God has given you an opportunity to be that Christian, be that thing that you learned to somebody else, and we have to do it. Uh, we were sitting at the table, or the kids were sitting at the table with Jenny, and it started to rain, and I was in the other room, and I heard Jenny say to Bo, well, go ask your dad. And I, I hear that. I'm like, go ask your dad what? You know? What do I got to do? I'm sitting in my chair. Kind of thing. And there's a guy walking down the street in the rain, and Bo says, Somebody needs, we need to give him a ride. We can't drive. I mean, I about tossed the keys to him, so we'll go, go get him. It's raining. All right, all right. So we hopped in and got in, and, and we began to look. And, and th this town is so amazing. I mean, by the time we got out of our driveway, the guy was gone. Somebody else had already picked him up. So that's a beautiful thing. There's a bunch of people out there. There's no way I'm going to let that guy walk in the rain. Get in. I don't care who you are. Axe murder. Stay clear back then. Okay, let's go. Nobody cares around here. I love that. Beautiful thing about Maryville. It just, it's not going to happen. No one's going to walk in the rain that long. So we lose track of him. So we drive down this straight. We go down this one. We go down the, because we want to find this. And pretty soon we got to the place and we're like, well, let's just find somebody. Somebody's got to be walking. So this quick trip ended up being, in, and we came back in and Jenny looked, did you find him? Did you get it? No, we didn't find him. And Bo goes off to do his thing, and Jenny reminds me of something that I've forgotten. JC used to do that. Once he got his car, he wouldn't even tell us where he was going. All of a sudden, he just hop in the car and take off. I'm like, where's JC going? He's going to pick somebody up who saw walking by in the rain. He'd go grab him, get him in, drive him wherever. They, we don't know what happened to him. He just wouldn't tell us. He'd just run out. I'm like, that's right. He used to do that. That's everything. That's all of it. If that getting in the car and helping someone out of the rain and to where they needed to go didn't happen, then everything was a waste of time because it's all for that. If God's word doesn't move me to do that, if God's word doesn't move me to do it, and I don't do it, that's what James was saying. Quit telling me how spiritual you are, how much scripture you've memorized. Don't tell me that you've done all this. Show me. Because if you're not showing me, your faith is dead. It's a strong statement. Until the do it happens, it's dead. And that's what he's trying to tell his son. I want you to know him. I want you to serve him. That's doing it. But I want you to be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat and the plans for all that the, he had by the Spirit, the courts, it says, of the house of the Lord, all the chambers all around, all the, of the treasuries of the house of God, of the treasuries of the dedicated things, and so on. Now, I'm going to read the rest of it, but whenever I think of the temple, I'm like, 
and you see pictures of people. So this is what the temple looked like. But where are all these other buildings? I mean, the temple is is this. I know exactly what it looks like. I know there's what's this overhang over here, and why are there buildings all the while? That's that's not biblical. These guys are doing you know uh, artistic license with God's word, you know. And then you read stuff like this, you're like, oh, oh, upper chambers, lower chambers, vestibules. All these other things. It was a complex. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of places to store things. It was the whole thing. Yes, the temple's here and the courts are there, but there's other buildings there. Vestibules and, and whatever. And so he gives them the plans, and don't miss this, obviously, that we're by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave David these plans. Now, David wasn't sure how much material it was going to take. We talked about this. I made a bunch of rocks for his stones cut, but you can add more to it if you need to. I mean, who knows? Maybe I misjudged. So of the courts and of the treasuries of the house of God, also the division of the priests, the Levites, all the things, he's, remember, he's reiterating this not only to the leaders, that's the audience in front of David, but also Solomon is standing there also, showing him the plans, the blueprints, all the gold by weight for all the lamps. And I'm going to kind of skip through this because he's just going over all the things that I prepared for you, Solomon for the showbread, for the tables, until finally we get to verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. It's all been set for you. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. There it is again. Do not fear. He knew his son. He knew that position. Nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. We should be encouraged by that, Solomon. God's given me these plans. They're good plans. They're his. You don't have to change a thing on them. They're exactly the way he wants them. So you can trust these plans. You can trust these plans. Get it? And I'm going to give you all this stuff too. You can trust this stuff. may not have gave you enough stuff, but you can grab some more. That fruit of the Spirit, that filling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. It's been given to you. Now, use that. Use the sword of the Spirit. Use the gifts of the Spirit. Use the fruit of the Spirit. Now go do it. Go do it. I like what he says there at the end there. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Great. Love that. Circle that. Underline that. But the second part's just as important. Until he's finished. Until he's finished. David's done. Good job, David. Moving on to Solomon. Great, Solomon. And you're going to be used to the capacity God wants to use you until he's done. I don't have to worry about a thing. God will not leave me nor forsake me. And I, forsake is probably a strong word. He's, I'm not, he's not going to be done with me until he's done with me. But when he's done with me, I'm out. You know? That should bring us peace. A lot of us have fears of death, dying, cancer, all the things that can happen to us, car accidents, whatever might be in our... I'm not going to go one day sooner than when God wants me to go. I don't ever have to worry about that. And when I do go, I go. Now, <laughs> I don't know when that is for each of us. He doesn't promise us old age. He really doesn't. Um, some of us, he does. A lot of these guys die when they're young. They do. And they loved God, you know. That isn't the level. If you loved God, you wouldn't be sick, you know. Or if you had faith, you wouldn't be. That's, that's a bunch of garbage. It's not true. It's unscriptural. 
It's not biblical. But I don't have to worry. Solomon, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to have anxiety. I want, I don't want you to be, have, I want you to have courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. God's with you. You've got his plans. And he's not going to stop being with you until you're done with his service. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also, the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. What a relief to know that, for Solomon anyway, I don't have to know how to work gold. Smelt. Maybe he does. He's one of the, he's the smartest guy that ever lived besides Jesus. But I don't have to worry about knowing everything about everything. I know that there's people that know how to do this stuff. When we started this fellowship, five people, Jenny, I, and folks, I don't, you know, I don't remember everybody. The McKinney's were there, and Miller's were there, and, and some others. And, and uh, I don't mean to say if you're here that you're just some others. I, it just escapes me who all was there the first time and, and all. It was us in a cassette tape recorder, you know, and we pushed play on the mixtape that I made, and that's how we worship, you know. And the, the Miller's watched the kids, my kids, in the back, you know, uh, in the drum room and all. And it's a daunting thing to think that you're starting a fellowship. My goodness. And you did have to know how to, I'd run. I didn't know how to push play on that thing. You know, It's quite a step from where we are now. Look behind that sound booth. Couldn't turn it on if you wanted me to. Did you turn on the sound for you? Nope. Not without blowing all the speakers and all the electronic equipment. Don't know anything about it now, and I'm so glad. I'm glad. So so blessed to have people come alongside who know what they're doing and what they can. And that's what Solomon needed to know. It's it's okay, you know. On a side note, I know we're running along. I'll stop here. Guys, trust your wives. Trust your wives. Gals, trust your husbands. You're together for a reason, and you're not the same for a reason because she's got strengths and he's got strengths. You need to trust those strengths, and you need to know your weaknesses too. I don't know that. I don't know, I don't know what I'm Trust each other. Trust what God has brought you together for a reason. She will help you. He will help you, you know. And I say that because that's our, that's our first and smallest little company, you know. CEO and a vice president, but any smart CEO will listen to the vice president all day long because they don't. I don't know everything, you know. I'll leave it at that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, these chapters. I look forward to next week. I, Lord, I was really hoping to get to it because of the joy. So much joy in this last chapter. Um, but we'll get to it. And we're thankful for where you brought us today. It was just enough. It's exactly what we needed. It's the manna that you prepared for us, and we're grateful for it. So we thank you. Uh, we love your bread. We love your word. Um, and so we pray that it sustains us this week. Help us to look for those opportunities to do it. Um, the opportunities you place in front of us to be your hands and feet, to be a blessing, to apply all the things we were uh, brought to our attention today and, and that you want to do in our hearts. And uh, we love you and look forward to this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.